Well, this morning I want to uh, take off where we ended last week. We're in a short series about knowing Christ. And uh, this was based on a uh, Wednesday night Bible study we had a few weeks ago in the book of Philippians. And uh, it was talking about um, how to know Christ. And Paul specifically brought it up. Can you believe Paul would bring up such a topic as that, to know Christ? But he did. <laughs> Paul wanted to know Christ. In the middle of his ministry, he just had a revelation to say, <clears throat> I need to know Christ. I want to know him better. And you know, that is just a great thing for all of us, to have that revelation that say, I want to know Christ. I don't want to just know about Christ. I want to know him. I want to know who he is, and I want him active, and I want him alive in my life, and I want to know about him, and I want to know him. I want to know him intimately. I want him to know me intimately, and I want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul's talking about. And if, He mentioned five different areas that uh, Paul highlighted in the area of getting to know Christ. And we talked about one last week. Uh, the five areas are... We talked last week that we are to walk in Christ's suffering, and we spent all week talking about what it meant to walk in the suffering of Jesus. We are to be dissatisfied Christians, and we're going to talk about that today, and we're to be disciplined Christians. Number four, we're to be, we're to be forgetful Christians, and to, we're, to, number five, we're to be heavenly-minded Christians. You have to come back for next week. We're going to talk probably forgetful and heavenly minded next week. But today I want to talk about what it means to be dissatisfied Christians and what it means to be disciplined Christians. Um, the, the, the text of our passage today is in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Now that I have already, not that I have already obtained this, this is Paul speaking. Or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Paul says that I have not already obtained, or I have not already arrived, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Father, we just thank you for this day once again. We thank you for your mercies and your grace. We thank you, Lord, for the way that you work and, and uh, manifest yourself so powerfully in our midst, and we're so thankful for that. Now, God, I pray that you just be with us as we get into your Bible. We get into your word. Lord, help us to, to be fully balanced, that we um, want to experience you and we want to know you. So help us, Lord, that we would really know you and we would understand what that means. And help us just open up our eyes and our in our spiritual hearts, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So a couple weeks ago, we talked about uh, what it meant to be dissatisfied, and, and there were some people that were un, not comfortable with the word dissatisfied. It, it, and they said, that's not the best terminology to use. And so let's talk about that for a minute, because they talked about um, that by using the word dissatisfied, that's a negative to be used in trying to talk about a positive spiritual condition. So let's just um, figure out what a better word is. Um, what Barry Cooper meant when he said to be dissatisfied, uh, a dissatisfied Christian, it really, he's really talking about what it, what it means is to um, a, a description of one's sense of contentment with where they are at spiritually. To be dissatisfied in your spiritual condition, not to be content in your spiritual condition. 
Um, and then we talked about this past Wednesday night. We talked about how we are to be content in Christ. And for those that were in both sessions, it, it, we, we talked a little bit about it Wednesday, and it, we certainly don't want to confuse people. We don't want to say, well, we're to be dissatisfied in one area, but now we're to be content. It almost sounds like we're double-speaking ourselves. That we're, Are we dissatisfied or are we contented? And uh, so we wanna, I want to make sure we talk about that today and, and understand clearly that we're to be both. If I'm really, <laughs> really going to confuse you, you're to be both dissatisfied and content at the same time. And let me explain what this means here. And this is where the devil is really good at bringing confusion into God's Word because where God has, says some very important things, the devil likes to get in and play games and twist some things up here a little bit. So I want to understand more uh, what God's intention is for us when it comes to being content and be dissatisfied at the same time. And the way we have to understand this is to understand, really, the world that we live in. And the world that we live in is a temporary world. We are living in a physical world, and we have a lifespan of 60, 70, 80, 100 years, or whatever that lifespan is, of our physical world. And then we have a spiritual life that goes on and on and on and on forever. So we, are, we have to make sure we clearly understand what we're talking about when we talk about being contented and, and also want to be dissatisfied. What are, we be, what are we to be contented in and what are we to be dissatisfied in? So understand if we're looking at the world, if we're looking at our life in context of this world, this physical world, it has some different connotations as if we're looking at our life in view of a spiritual, eternal world. So we're going to look at how contentment and dissatisfied comes together in those worlds. Now let's talk about contentment first. Paul says that we are to be content in this world. We're to be content with the things that we have in this world. And we're not to um, find ourselves desiring more and more and more, but we're to come to a point of contentment. He says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 12, Paul says, I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned, key words, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. See, Paul's talking very specifically here that he's learned the secret of being content with physical and material things. That he doesn't have to be well-fed and be... Um, the most luxurious home with the most luxurious camel <laughs> or whatever he w used to get around in those days or the best pair of sandals, <laughs> he learned to be content in whatever he had, whether it was good or not good. Boy, there's a lesson in that for us today because we need to be content in the things that we have, in the way that God has provided for us. He's provided every need that we have. And isn't it kind of a shame when God provides us our needs and we look at it and say, God, I want more. I want more of the things that are going to burn up. I want more of the things that uh, aren't really going to last. I want more of the things, God, that are going to take me away from you spiritually. Now, I'm not against prosperity. Don't get me wrong. And I'm not against nice cars and nice homes. I like them all just like you do. I just don't want them to become my focal point. 
And I think that when we start learning about what it means to be content with the worldly things, I think it will help us understand more about what it means to be dissatisfied in the spiritual things. You know, we've all been at funerals. We've all seen hearses drive away, and there's never been a hearse with a U-Haul. There's no such thing. You don't take anything with you. It's all, it all stays here. So that's, let's just understand all that. And when we can grasp the fact that we're not taking it with us, how important is it really? How important really is it if I'm going to leave it? So what do we learn to be content in and what do we learn to be dissatisfied in? So when Paul talks about dissatisfaction, what he's really talking about is that we need to become and stay dissatisfied in the area of our spiritual condition. And our desires need to be continually growing and advancing in the things that are eternal and the things that do last. And the things that last, we need to, we need to go after those harder and pursue those with more effort and leave the things behind that, we don't, that we're not going to take. Paul described it in our text, not that I have already obtained it or already arrived at my goal, but Paul says, I press on. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Paul's admitting here that he has a long way to go, that he's gotten so far, but there is so much more for him to do, so he is going to press on, and he is going to um, not be contented where he's at, even though he's at a great level even though he's at a very advanced level already. And some of us, some of you and I are here, some of us here this afternoon or this morning are at an advanced level. But we can't allow ourselves to be contented there. Because if we allow ourselves to be contented at that level, what's going to happen? What's going to happen to us if we, if we become content? What's that? We can become stagnant. We can become like a like a, a pond that has no outlet. And that pond with the outlet, sooner or later, that water stops flowing through that pond, it becomes stagnant. Get, we, we can go backwards. Yeah. Absolutely. If we're not moving forward, we're probably moving backwards because time is moving on. And if we're not staying with it, then, all, then we're, we're regressing, not progressing. So yeah, there's a danger of a real danger of backsliding. We don't use that terminology very much, do we, anymore? When was the last time you heard backsliding? Long time. But yet, that's a very real condition of many of us, many Christians today are in a backsliding position because they're not moving forward. Because they're contented with they are, where they are spiritually. Now let's look at some positive terms. Let's, if we don't like the word dissatisfied, well, first of all, what does it mean to be dissatisfied? To be dissatisfied means to be discontented, unfulfilled, lacking in some area, some negative thinking that we're not attaining. So let's look for a more positive term to describe what it really means to be dissatisfied in our spiritual condition. And when I thought about this, the, really the best terms that came to my mind are to be hungry and thirsty. Because I understand what hunger is, and I understand what thirst is. Well, I, do, I, do I really? I've got to wonder that. Do I really? I mean, I, I live in America. Have I really been hungry? 
I mean, I'd never been to a third world country. I don't know what it is not to have three meals a day. So I guess I have to be careful here because I'm not so sure if I really know what it means to be hungry. But let's use that terminology. Let's use that thirsty, hungry terminology because, quite honestly, the writers of the Bible used it quite a bit. The psalmist talked about thirst. Psalms chapter 42, verse 1 and 2. The psalmist says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Do you, do you sense the urgency of the psalmist here? I am so thirsty. I'm like a deer that's panting for the water. But then he says in chapter 63, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Again, you see the sense of urgency, the sense of passion, the sense of, of desire that the psalmist says, oh God, you're all I want. I am so thirsty for you and for more of you. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 1 and 2 Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters and you will, and you have and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, he says, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. Are you thirsty? Come, you who are thirsty, and I will fill you up. And then Jesus said it to his contemporaries back on the, in the beginning of the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. They will be filled. If you're hungry, understand, you will be filled. Now, filled with what? What's he talking about? What's he filled with? When it, this scripture says that this person will be, who is hungry and thirsty for righteousness, he'll be filled with righteousness. And what is righteousness? Righteousness is virtue, morality, Justice, decency, uprightness, honesty, all of these words and many others that describe the life of blameless living. A person that truly is seeking God's righteousness walks a life without blame. Walks a life that is a decent life, a moral life, an ethical life, an upright life, an honest life. Therefore, a person that hungers and thirsts for God, the righteousness was going to be filled with goodness. And that's the kind of eagerness and longing that describes the dissatisfied Christian. The person that is dissatisfied with his spiritual walk is really a person that is hungry for more of Jesus. So to know Christ by being dissatisfied, what we're really saying is that I am so thirsty for more. I am so hungry for more. I can't wait to get more. And I'll go any place I can to get it. I'll go to church to get it. I'll go have lunch with another Christian man to get it. Or I'll have a Bible study with some Christian women to get it. Or I'll have a Bible study with some men. Or I'll, I'll go whatever, I'll go to any extreme that I have to to get more of God because I am so hungry. I am so thirsty. I can't, I can't even contain my hunger. That's the thirstiness that we need to have. If we're really going to know Christ, we have to have that. See, we've just described a Christian life as one that is content in the materialistic things and dissatisfied and very hungry and thirsty for the eternal things. And if we can really figure that out, 
if we can really understand where we are in that balance of life, you're, you're on the right road. You're on the right road. But understand, again, the enemy here is very, um, very cognizant of the same facts. He understands exactly what it is, too. So the devil will take and he'll twist it all up and he'll bring all kinds of, uh, a, a whole disarray of confusion when it comes to contentment and dissatisfaction. I mean, we can see it in our society. Just look around us. Look around at the American dream. What does the American dream say? The American dream says this. It says that I have to gain as much as I can gain. People are chasing the dollar. They are chasing the dollar and the love of money all through their life, even to the point where they are, where they're willing to lose the most important things in their, in their life, like their families. How many people do we know that have lost it all for more money, for more stuff? See, that's the devil bringing, he's confusing the dissatisfaction and the contentment thing because he's, say, he's making us very dissatisfied, very hungry for the materialistic things, and very contented in the spiritual life which for many of those that are in that rat race have no spiritual life, but yet they're very content with that. <laughs> they're very content with nothing that lasts forever, but very hungry for the things you're going to burn up. That's how the devil twists it around. And that's why we need to be very careful that we understand that we, who are we? Which one am I? Which, one, which, which person am I? Am I the one that is chasing the world, or am I the one chasing Jesus? Understand the devil wants me to chase the world. Understand, he wants me to be content with my Christian life. Don't get too fanatical about God. Come on, you can go and go. To, if you want to go to church, go to church. Go, ho, go, go. That doesn't mean anything. Go to church. You can do all that stuff. But don't get, don't get excited there. I mean, don't, don't ask for prayer there. Don't, don't come in and think that God's going to meet you there. Just like Scott said earlier when he began to serve us, how we can come in with a preconceived notion about what God's going to do, and that preconceived motion is probably nothing. <laughs> I'm not going to be any different when I leave this building today. If I come in that way, I'm going to leave that way. That's being contented in our spiritual life, but I'm chasing my material dream all week long, aren't I? I go to work every week, every day of the week, working hard, but, you know, when it comes to my spiritual life, oh, I'm content with coming to church once a Sunday, once a day, or, you know, once a week, and... and I check the box and I go home. Well, not a good idea, is it? I mean, think about it. I mean, it, 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 maybe it sounds obvious now that it's not a good idea, but, but maybe when we get home and we have opportunities to go in our Bible study in our own personal prayer closet and pick up our Bible and read our Bible, you know, and that TV show's on in the other room, and, um, or my hobby's calling me in the, in the garage, or whatever that thing that's pulling me away, it doesn't seem so obvious then, does it? Because how quickly and how easily do we allow ourselves to get sucked into the materialistic things of the world, where God's over here in the, in the other side, and he's saying, I've got something for you. I've got something. Do you want it? I've got something for you. I've got a gift for you today. It's not Sunday, but that's okay. I can give gifts on Tuesday. Do you want it? Oh, no, God, I'm, I'm busy. I, I got a TV show I got to watch. I got a, I got a materialistic gain I've got to go after over here. I've, I've got this thing I got to do. And God's saying, ah, okay, that's your choice. It's your choice. It's your life. But I have this thing. If you, if you want it, it's here. Just come over and get it. 
It's just, it's really, Christ, it's that easy. It, we don't have to make it any more difficult than that. Actually, this is a great time for a little self-evaluation in our hearts personally to see where we're at. Where are you this morning? Where am I this morning? Scripture gives us some really good insight on how, how, to, how we are to evaluate ourselves. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21, a very common passage. We've probably read this a bunch. You might even have it memorized. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Verse 21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. How many words is that? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 words. For where your treasure is, there your heart is. You ever thought about that? See, if we truly understand where our treasure is, we'll be able to ask ourselves some good questions. Am I finding myself content with the things of earth and more hungry for the things of God? Good question. Am I finding myself more content with the things of earth and more hungry for God, or is it just the opposite? Or am I content with my spiritual growth and I have an increasing appetite for my earthly pleasures? Where are you? You're the only one that can answer that question. I can't answer it for you. Your spouse can't answer it for you. Nobody can answer it besides you and God. And by the way, God knows. <laughs> he knows your appetite. And we talked about that last week a little bit, about that's why pain sometimes comes into our life. That's why adversity comes in, because sometimes God wants you to, he wants to get your attention. He wants you to make you look up. And that's sometimes why we have problems in our life, because God says, you don't have a spiritual, your appetite is not in the right spot. So I'm going to create a little, I'm going to create a little attitude adjustment opportunity for you to choose. I'm going to make you look up. And when you look up, then you're going to make the choice, which one do I want? Sometimes that's what adversity is, guys. Understand that? That's what sometimes what it is. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just an issue of my own consequence. Sometimes my problems are just my own problems because I make poor choices. But God would still have me look up in that. Right? If your treasure's truly in heaven, this is really interesting. If your treasure truly is in heaven, then every day that passes... Every day that passes, you're getting one day closer to your treasure. Therefore, your joy should be increasing. If your treasure is in heaven, understand that every day that goes by, you're getting closer to your treasure. Therefore, your joy and your happiness should be increasing. On the other hand, if your treasure is, in, uh, is on earth, and every day that goes, goes passes, you're getting further away from your treasure. Therefore, you're sad. Therefore, you're turning around trying to hold on to what you got because you're losing time. Time is taking you away from your treasure. Good indicator of where are you? It's a good indicator for you to say, am I happier? Am I more joyful because I'm getting closer to my treasure? Or am I getting a little bit um, melancholy because I have such a nice home? I've got it so good here. I really don't want to leave here. I got such a good family. Yes, you do. And there's nothing wrong with that. 
I'm not saying that we take a fatalistic attitude and we want to die soon. That's not my point. But my point is, it's a good indicator of where am I at? Am I contented or am I dissatisfied with the right things? See, if our time on earth is spent primarily with the intent on personal gain and satisfaction versus having an attitude of, you know, God, uh, this is another day. Why am I here today, Father? What can I do for you today? What can I do? How can I build your kingdom today? What can you, what, what's your task for me today? See, some, many of us struggle with our purpose. Many of us struggle with, I don't really know what God's will is for me. Well, maybe you're making it too difficult. Maybe you need to take it one day at a time and say, God, you know, I'm here today. It's a, it's, it's a day that you've given me. Um, why am I here? Well, he might say, because I've got somebody I want you to talk to. I've got somebody I want you to pray for. I've got somebody that I want you to serve today. I've got somebody I want you to minister to today. He might have nothing to do with money. Believe, can you believe that? God might have something for you to do that has nothing to do with money. See, because he knows that money's not going to last. He knows the only thing that's going to last are the eternal things, the things that, that you do of your servitude and your ministering to other people. So if we would begin every day praying this way, when you wake up tomorrow morning, before, you even, before your feet even hit the bed, start to pray, Father, this is a day you've made today. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do today? Who, who do you want me to be ministered to today? And if I could start with that mentality, you know what it'll do? It'll slowly but surely change your attitude towards what's truly important and what's not important. And it'll give you a true purpose for your life that day, which will help you have purpose for your life the next day and the next day and the next day. And before long, you're not even worried about what your purpose is because you're there just for one day at a time serving God and helping people. And what you're doing by doing that is you're laying your treasures in heaven. And all of a sudden, you find yourself happier, less frustration, and more fulfilled because you're moving closer to your home. You're moving closer to your treasure because your treasure is being laid in heaven, and you're letting go, little at a time, the things that are holding us down on earth. Not to say they're not important, but they're just not what my focus anymore. They're just not what I'm going after anymore. I'm going after the things that really last. So that eventually you can really make, you can really pray this prayer. As in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all the other things in life will be given to you. But when I put my eyes focus on Christ and truly make him my desire, truly make him my focal point, my center point, truly make him that, and then let all the other things just happen. It's not, that's not being lackadaisical. That's not being a non-planner. That, that's not that at all. See, the devil will twist it around like that. He'll make that sound that way, like, oh, you're really being irresponsible. It's not that at all. What it's saying is I know where my strength comes from, and I know where my treasure is. Therefore, I will seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, meaning his decency, his morality, his goodness, all of the things that God has, I'll seek all that first. And then as I'm seeking that, God will provide all of my needs for earth. He'll provide a nice home for me. He'll provide a nice car for me because I'm focusing correctly on the right things. Therefore, I am satisfied. 
contented with earthly things, but spiritually hungry to know Christ. So that's kind of what it means to be dissatisfied in our spiritual condition. Now, what does it mean to be a, disip, a, disi, a disciplined Christian? Number three, to know Christ, one must be a disciplined Christian. A disciplined Christian. Now, Paul understands discipline. He understands this. I don't know if Paul was athletic or not, but he understood, he, he understood athletic competition because he talks about it. Philippians chapter 3, beginning at verse 14, he says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And by pressing on, Paul indicates here that he is disciplining himself not to give up and not to give in when the times get tough. But he is going to press on. And then he says in verse 16 and 17, Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together with me in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have, uh, just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. In other words, Paul's saying, guys, focus on the right people that you're following. Right? Don't focus on the compromising Christian. Don't, fo- don't focus on the feel-good mentality Christian that is more contented with his spiritual life and struggling and more, more um, effort put into his materialistic life. Don't follow that person. But Paul says, no, live up to what we've attained and then follow my example. Because my example, this is Paul speaking, my example is I am pressing on heavenly. So follow that. Don't, don't get caught up in the wrong crowd here. Don't follow the wrong mentality here. And then he goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Let's flip, flip a couple of uh, books over. First, or backwards. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 through 27. Again, Paul giving an example of an athlete. Do, not, do, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games go into, goes into strict training, discipline. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, Paul says, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body, and I make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul clearly understands what it is to be disciplined. Clearly understands that he has the responsibility. Paul has the responsibility to be disciplined. So does every pastor. So does every teacher. So does every person that that promotes or teaches. They're just as responsible for it as you are. So we all are in the world. We all are given the task of competing in a race. Now, the fortunate thing is here, I'm not competing with you for a heavenly prize. Understand there's room at the cross for everyone, right? So it's not in the competition about you and I and only one of us are going to get the cross. No, we're all, we all have the cross. We all have it. The competition here is within myself. I have a flesh man and I have a spirit man. So the competition is within myself and which man in me is going to win? Is it my flesh man or my spirit man? So the competition he's talking about is I have to beat myself to make sure that I don't let the flesh man get ahead of the spirit man. Which one am I going to feed? Which one am I going to promote? Which one am I going to give liberties to in my life? That's the one that's going to win. So if if I don't discipline myself so that the spiritual man is fed, 
And if I allow the physical man, which is life's pleasures and the laziness truly of, of spiritual things, if I feed that man more, then my flesh man will get the prize. There's only one prize in my life, and that's eternal life. Is it heaven or hell? That's the prize. That's the prize I'm talking about when he says compete with a man. It's yourself. It's not with other people. You're not comparing yourself to anybody else. You're not competing with anybody else. You're competing with yourself, and that is which man, flesh or spirit, is going to win the prize. If the flesh wins, you're going to hell. If the spirit wins, you're going to heaven. So which prize? Which one are you going after? That's what he's talking about. That's the disciplined Christian. So Jackie, why don't you come and we'll start getting ready for communion today. But as we review some things where we've been here, we need to look about, we need to look at ourselves as how are we, what are we doing to know Christ? Truly, do you want to know Christ? I guess that's the question first. How badly do you want to know Christ? It's a question you have to answer, guys. This is not, this is not a not applicable. <laughs> there is no not applicable answer here. How badly do you want to know Christ? Because that determines your future. I'm not talking about how bad you want to be a part of this church. I'm not talking about anything about denominational. I'm not talking anything about religion. I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. How bad do I want that? And what am I willing to do to get it? What am I willing to do to maintain it? What am I willing to do to grow it? What am I willing to give up so that I don't let the flesh man win my race? Are we walking daily, suffering for Christ like we talked about last week meaning that you're more concerned with pleasing God than pleasing men that you're willing to stand against the popular thinkers when it comes to holiness and righteousness and you're quick to stand against that and you don't make a compromise in your life because it because you can blend in better with the, with the rest of the people at school the rest of the people at work or whatever your situation is are you guarding your heart and intentionally protecting it so that it hungers after the right things in life. Are you hungry? Are you guarding your heart? Are you doing whatever you have to do to make sure that the spirit man wins? Are you disciplining yourself so as, so as you, so that you qualify and you win the heavenly prize? And that's not at all saying that our works save us. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what the scripture says. But the works come as a result of our salvation. Let's pray. And let's just ask the Lord to help us in this area as we come in and prepare our hearts for communion this morning. Communion is a very important time. It's a very important time. And before we come and take this, we don't want to take it lightly. So we want to make sure that we really are knowing Christ because we're going to know him very intimately here in a minute when we partake at his communion table. So let's just close your eyes and let's just do a little self-evaluation time. Father, we just come before you in Jesus' name. And Lord, we're asking you right now, Father, where are we? Where am I? Where's my heart with you today, Father? Am I truly seeking after you? Am I content? Or am I dissatisfied? Am I hungry? Am I thirsty? 
Am I disciplined? Am I willing to walk the path that you walked? Am I willing to suffer with you and for you? And Father, in any area here, if I'm lacking, I'm sorry. Lord, I'm sorry. And I'm praying right now, would you forgive me? And as we all pray that collectively, and if you really mean that from your heart, understand what that puts you. That puts you in proper perspective one more time with Jesus. That means you can come in and you can participate with communion for us. None of this means we're perfect. None of this means that we're perfect people without a problem. We all have problems. The problem, the, 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 re, the solution is how quickly do we resolve them? How quickly do we come back to that crisis point of repentance? Father, as we go to our homes today, I pray we walk in victory today. Lord, I pray that we would be hungry for you, contented in what this world has to offer, but God, that our thirst and our hunger for you would be ever increasing. Lord, I pray that we'd be disciplined in our lifestyle. Lord, I pray that we would be able to apply your word today and we would be able to use it for your glory and for you to build your kingdom. I pray this covering and I pray this blessing on all of us. In Jesus' name, amen.